So, temptation. Valentine's Day, right? Might as well talk about temptation. It's like, I, it's, it just kind of fell that way with uh, the book of James, okay? And so, uh, if you've got a problem with talking about temptation on Valentine's Day, you take it up with James, not with me, okay? But uh, when it comes to this concept of temptation, it's something all of us go through, isn't it? And it seems like it just never seems to go away. Oscar Wilde, who was a famous English writer, said that he could withstand anything except temptation. <laughs> and I thought that was kind of funny. Um, but, uh, you know, we've been on this, this one section of the book of James for the last four lessons. Uh, it starts in uh, chapter 1, verse 2, and it goes through where we're going to end today, kind of uh, verse, I don't know, 17 or so. Uh, and what, uh, it starts out talking about trouble, remember? Uh, he said, uh, whenever trials of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Uh, now today, he's going to finish it up. This passage that I'm getting ready to read to you will say over and over and over again, you'll see the word temptation come up. Now, if you were just reading in the English Bible, you'd think he was talking about two different things with trials and temptations. But if you were reading in the original Greek Bible, the language that they wrote the New Testament in, you would see the word for trial and the word for temptation is exactly the same in the Greek language. It's perasmos. And so in chapter 1, verse 2, when he says, consider it pure joy whenever you experience trials... Whenever you experience perasmos. And then later on in verses 12 through 17 that we're going to look at today, he keeps talking about when temptation comes your way. Same exact word, when perasmos comes your way. What is the deal with that? I used to, I mean, I didn't know that until this week as I was getting ready for this particular lesson. But I, I did some, some looking at it this week. Throughout the New Testament, when you see the word trial or you see the word temptation, you can just basically interchange whatever word you want to use, trial or temptation, because it's the same concept to the writers of the Bible. And I think probably that's because in every temptation there's a trial, and in every trial there's a temptation. And so they are slightly different, but as you go through the Bible, and especially as we go through James, whenever you see this word, I just want you to kind of keep that in the back of your mind. Trial, temptation, kind of the same thing. So here's what James says in James chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Now, that's interesting, too. In, if you read through different translations of the Bible, some of them say who patiently endure testing. Other people say, other translators say people who endure temptation. It's just one word there. The, the translators of the New Living Translation decided to hit all their bases, and so they translated one word into testing and temptation. And he goes on then. He says, afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So every or what, so don't be misled, my brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our Father. Okay, this, 
I mean, I could spend three weeks on this one section of, uh, of the book of James, but we're going to try to do it in one. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at James' kind of five-step battle plan for dealing with temptation when it comes your way, and we're also in the middle of it going to kind of step out and talk about how temptation works, the, the four stages of temptation, so that you can see it when it's coming and so that you'll know what to do when you see that it's here, all right? Okay, temptation battle plan. Number one, expect temptations. Expect them. Now, if you were here three weeks ago for our first lesson on James when we were talking about trials, how to handle trials when they come our way, this point may look vaguely familiar because it is exactly the same first point that we dealt with three weeks ago when we were talking about trials that we are going to use today when we're talking about temptations. In James uh, 1 verse 2, if you remember, he says, whenever troubles come your way, not, not if, you know, that, that, that whenever, that they are an inevitability. Now here in James chapter 1 verse uh, 13, he says, and remember when you are being tempted. Again, it's another one of those things. It's like, don't be surprised when trials or temptations come your way. A lot of times, I don't know about you, I beat myself up for many years just because of the thoughts that I would have, just because of the temptations that would come my way. I think I'm a horrible person, you know. And I'll never forget, I was reading Max Lucado's book, Just Like Jesus, once, and he, he made this statement that's, that, that really kind of revolutionized my life. He said, you are not responsible for the thoughts you have. You're only responsible for what you do with the thoughts that you have, with the temptations that you have. And so I would even go so far to, to say that the, the more progress you make in your spiritual life, walking with Jesus, becoming more like him, the more trials and temptations are going to be bombarding you. Uh, and so don't be surprised. They are going to come. Number two, uh, don't pass the buck, okay? When they come, Pastor Jeff was talking about this. This is, this is a, a, an age-old tradition, all right? It started with Adam and Eve in the garden, and human beings have done it ever since. We don't like to take responsibility for our own actions. Um, we even will blame God, and this is not a modern phenomenon. This is something that's been going on since the beginning as well. James chapter 1, verse 13, he says, And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. He is never tempted to do wrong and never tempts anyone else. But a lot of times, the way we talk about, about why we did what we did, right? When we're trying to explain it to ourselves or other people, it's almost like we lost control of ourselves. Sort of like this. Welcome to Eyewitness News at 6 with Susan Ortega, Evan Baxter, Fred Donahue, Sports, Dallas Coleman, Weather, and now Buffalo's number one news team. Good evening and welcome to Eyewitness News at 6. I'm Susan Ortega. And I'm Evan Baxter and here's what's making news. A potential scandal with the Buffalo PD surfaced today when the mayor... <coughs> Somebody give us some water, please. That looks like my new co-anchor may need a glass of water. Oh, there we go. Sorry about that. In other news, 
The Prime Minister of Sweden visited Washington today. The White House Reception Committee greeted the Prime Rib Roast Minister, and I do the cha-cha like a sissy girl. <coughs> I like a do the cha-cha. I'm sorry, we seem to be having some technical difficulties. <coughs> chapter 6 verse 5 says each of you must take responsibility for doing the best you can with your own life. Is there oftentimes blame for some of the factors that caused you to do what you did? Yes, absolutely. But the, the writers of the Bible and God himself, uh, when it comes to blame, if there's somebody to blame for something that's happened in your life, you know what the Bible says? Forgive that person and move on. Because your actions are nobody else's responsibility other than your own, okay? There are things in our past and sometimes things just involved in, in our genetics that, yes, make, make us susceptible to certain temptations. But God says, you know, yeah, that's life. You know, we've all got things we've got to deal with. You've got to take responsibility for your own life. Um, third step in this battle plan that James gives us is be prepared. And that one was also in the first lesson we did when we were talking about uh, handling the troubles that come our way. It's like there are things that we can do. Um, we talked about them a few weeks ago in terms of the, the six habits of highly effective followers of Jesus. Uh, Paul calls them sometimes putting on the full armor of God. Uh, but, but you can do things that will prepare you for whatever comes your way. And James wants you to understand what temptation looks like so that when you see it coming, you won't be surprised. James chapter 1, verse 14, he says, Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled. Okay? He wants you to see it when it's coming. So that you'll know, okay, I need to be ready because what's getting, because what I'm getting ready to head into is sort of a danger zone, right? And so you want to be ready so that when you get into that danger zone, you are prepared to handle whatever gets thrown your way. In 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11, the Bible says, Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. Now, sometimes... I've had people ask me before, they'll say, Pastor Ed, you don't talk about Satan very much here at Riverside. And it's true, I don't. 
uh, because I think I think people either take Satan way too seriously or not seriously enough. Okay, and if all I do is talk about you know Satan and the devil and, and he's responsible for everything, well then pretty soon people are going to stop listening to me when I talk about him. Okay, I want to make sure that when I do bring him up, that people are like, whoa. If he's talking about this guy right now, he must, you know, maybe I should pay attention to what's going on because this guy is a dangerous adversary, the Bible calls him. Uh, Jesus believed in him wholeheartedly. Whether you believe in him or not, uh, there is a way that evil and temptation works in our lives, and I think it's important for us to understand how it works. And so today you're going to hear me talking about him a lot because when it comes to temptation, this is like his number one job. Okay, and the Bible is constantly saying, understand how he works so that he won't outsmart you. So how does temptation work? Uh, we're going to go back through that passage of James that I just read and pull out four stages of temptation. Okay, the first two are not optional. You will go through the first two. The last two are optional. All of us go through them, but we don't have to, I guess I would say. So four stages of temptation. The first one is desire. It's, and it begins inside. James says in James 1.14, it comes from our own desires. Now, desires are not bad things, okay? Um, I always thought that temptation was the temptation to do something bad, right? And to a certain extent it is, but it starts with something good, which is what makes it so hard to see coming. See, this word desires that James uses, it's not talking about, you know, it's like I've got this desire to kill someone. You know what I mean? It's like, hmm, I wonder if I should do that or not. That's, that's a tough question. You know, it's like, I wonder what, what would God have me do in this situation? You know what I mean? I can tell you pretty easily, don't kill that person, right? That's what God would say. You know, I'm thinking about stealing from my boss. Hmm, I wonder what God would, it's like, that's not what most of the truly dangerous temptations are. The truly dangerous temptations start with this word desire. It's not talking about just regular desires. You know, God gave us our desires. They, when fulfilled properly at the right time and the right proportions, they are a big part of what make life worth living. And God gave them to us to be good things, to, to, to bless our lives. But what this is talking about, this is a word that ordinarily is translated as lust or evil desires. Uh, but that's not, that, that really doesn't capture what the word really means. What it, what it literally means is hyper-desire. And it's not referring to this hyper-desire to, to hurt someone or a hyper-desire to, to take something. It's a hyper-desire of something that's good that you want so badly that you'll do something bad to get the good thing, if that makes sense. We just watched a clip from Bruce Almighty, and if you've seen the movie, you know that Bruce thinks God isn't doing a good job at giving him what he thinks he's got coming to him. He wants success in his, in his work life and in his love life, and he thinks God is doing a pretty lousy job. So God gives him all of his power, he becomes Bruce Almighty, and he can use all of God's power to bring about what he thinks he should have when it comes to work and love success. And what ends up happening is he wants these things, these good things, right? Success is a good thing. God gave you the desire to be a success in your life. He, he put the desire to love and be loved in you. 
But what happens is if we want those things so badly that we'll do anything to get them, then they become this hyper desire and we become ripe for temptation. That leads to the second step of temptation, and that is deception. Um, James goes on. He says that these the, the temptation comes from within, from our own desires. He says, which entice us and drag us away. Now, James is using here some outdoorsy terms. Entice is literally the word for bait, and drag us away is literally the word for snare or trap. And so the idea is, especially if you're a fisherman, you know how this works, right? If you throw a, a naked hook out into the water, there's no fish going to bite that hook, right? They see it's a trap. You've got to dress that hook up with the proper bait. And then the fish, even if it's like, this seems fishy, <laughs> no, no pun intended, but you know, this seems like it's fishy, but I'm going to, I want that bait so badly, I'm going to strike at it. And it's too late when it realizes the bait is covering a trap and it is dragged away, right? That is exactly what James says happens to us with temptation. He says, Satan knows these hyper desires that you have within you. These things that you want so badly, you'll do anything to get them. And so he sets a trap for you and he covers that trap up with a bait so that you will go after it. Judy spends a lot of time this week in the devotionals uh, talking about how this worked in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Um, we don't have time to get into it today, but that's exactly what happens. Eve has this hyper desire for knowledge. Satan comes along, says, here, let me show you. If you eat this, this fruit, this is what it'll get you. And it turns out he didn't really lie. He told her, he said, your eyes will be opened if you eat this fruit. She ate it. Her eyes were open. She didn't like what she saw. She realized too late it was a trap, right? It's what happens to us. Here's a great idea for you to spend some time this week thinking about. If you had a hyper desire in your life, something that you want so badly, a good thing, but you want it so badly that you would do anything to get it, what would it be? And based on that, what kind of bait would Satan use on you? Because see, then if you see that, that's what James is saying. Think about this. Know how he works. He, we don't want him to outsmart you. When you see it, go, oh, danger, Will Robinson, danger. This looks like it's too good to be true. It probably is. There's probably a trap behind that somewhere. Okay? It starts with desire, and it moves on to deception. And again, even though there are things in our, in our genetics and in our experiences that will sometimes make it hard to resist temptations. The Bible says we have within us the ability to resist. You are not an animal programmed by your DNA. You are not a machine that has been programmed and at the mercy of, of your programming. You are a human being that has well, what the Bible says is reign and rule over your own life. But again, sometimes we kind of lose that, that idea and we start kind of feeling like this again. It's the mothership. It looks deserted. No, no, no. He's in there. My boss never sleeps. <sighs> Be careful around this guy. He can tell what you're thinking. What are you talking about? Don't look him in the eye. Don't think any embarrassing thoughts. Just 
like you to meet a friend of mine, Tim Conrad. Uh, hi. I could use some help, and Barry says you're just the man for the job. Have a seat. I did an audit on a Stephen Conrad two years ago. Any relation? Uh, where does he live? Bayside State Prison. He's doing seven years. Oh. Are you hiding something, Mr. Conrad? <laughs> what is it that you do for a living? Don't ask. He makes money. Nobody knows where it comes from, though. Should we take a look at his return, Barry? Mm. <laughs> Guys, I, uh, I think we're getting a little off track here. Look, I'm in a little bit of a rush. That's him. Guys, I don't have much time, so... Mr. Conrad, <laughs> men lie to me a thousand times a day. My job is to find the truth. Right, Barry? Mm. I've studied the human mind. I've learned how to read it and ultimately control it. This is fascinating. I can't wait to read it. Uh, it's $14.99 on my website. Okay. Plus shipping and handling. Even if I buy it here, it ships from somewhere else, isn't it? And I've been handling it. <laughs> uh, can you just tell Thurman why we're here? We are looking for an address of a non-deductible vacation property. You're looking for someone or something. That's exactly right. <laughs> Tim is looking for his girlfriend. She ran off with an artist. They are probably sleeping together. Your girlfriend has left you. Tim, you can see right through you. Well, you also just told him that. <laughs> are you still skeptical, Mr. Conrad? Watch this. Barry. What is he doing? He's making me do something. What is he making me do? You're not doing anything, Barry. That's right, Barry, you're not doing anything. I'm not doing anything. I'm paralyzed. Oh, God. God can't hear you, Barry. Tim. Tim can't hear you, Barry. No, actually, I can hear him. <laughs> oh, oh, my body's a prison. Oh, this is so painful. I can't move, Tim. Tim, help me. Help me, Tim. All right, you know what, Barry, just move. You can do it, just move. <laughs> I release you. Oh, oh, oh. Wow, okay, I will never take movement for granted ever again. Well, I was wrong, right? Apparently his brain really is your puppet. I need an address. Can you help me, please? Perhaps, for a price. Apparently his brain really is your puppet. I, I, I love that line, you know? And. All that just to say this, your brain is nobody's puppet, okay? It, it really isn't. And what James says is, yeah, there are things that are within us that make, you know, standing up to temptation difficult. But you can do it. If you see what's coming, if you know how it works, if you understand it, and then you know how to handle it. Um, so it starts with our own desires then it leads to deception, enticing, and dragging us away. Those first two are not optional. Those first two, every single one of us will go through. But these next two are basically just dependent upon how we respond. So it goes from desire to deception to number three, to sinful actions, okay? 
Um, that's when we actually do what we're being tempted to do. James goes on, James 1.15, he says, these desires give birth to sinful actions. They, they create something, right? And that's, the, that's when the problem happens. The first two steps, desire and temptation, uh, deception, it's like those, those everybody goes through. Jesus went through them. Uh, but this third one is when things start to get dicey, when we do what we've been deceived to do. And a lot of times what we think is, oh, no big deal, right? It's like it's just once. As a matter of fact, that's, one, that's, that's how Satan works. He starts out saying, no big deal. Everybody does it. God forgives. What's the, you know, and then you do it. And then it's like, he's like, whoa, nobody's ever done anything like that before. You could never be okay with God again. That's the way that it works. And, and if, you keep, if you keep doing this, this sinful action, whatever it is, then James says it leads to this fourth step, which is death. And we're not talking about, you know, fall over dead and die. We're talking about this sort of walking dead, spiritual zombie-like life that, that some of us know all too well. And James says this in James chapter 1, verse 15. After the, sinful, after the desires give birth to sinful actions, then when the sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Okay, so this is a progressive thing. And what James is saying, if you, if you go back, if you're using the lesson sheet, go back to the, to the whole scripture that I, that I read at the beginning. It starts out saying, if you endure temptation, the reward is life, this glorious life. And then here at the end, he says, and if you don't, if you're not careful, what it will lead to is death. And so he's trying to get us to understand, be really, really careful. This is how temptation works. So I want you to know, James says, so that when it's coming, you will see it coming. Okay, so then what do we do? Really, really quickly. Number four, change your focus. If you stare at something, if, if you focus on something, even if you think, I am never going to do that. If that's what your focus is on, eventually that's exactly what you'll end up doing. How many times have you heard somebody say, I will never be like, and then fill in the blank, right? Mom, dad, that stinking pastor down at the church, a teacher, a friend, a brother, a sister, whatever, right? We all have somebody in our lives that we say, I don't ever want to be like that person. If all you do is focus on that, eventually you know what will end up happening? You will become exactly like the person you did not want to become like. And so what James says is just change your focus. Stop looking at the trap. Stop looking at the temptation and change your focus. In James chapter 1, verse 17, it almost seems like James forgot what he was talking about. He's talking about trials and troubles and temptation and death. And then all of a sudden he says, so whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God the Father. It's like, did he forget what he was talking about? No, he's telling you how to resist temptation. You take your eyes off of the trap and you put them on God. You put them on Jesus. Later on in James chapter 4, verses 7 through 8, James will say this. He'll say, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And when you draw close to God, God will draw close to you. What he's saying is stop looking at the thing that you're so tempted to do. Put your eyes somewhere else. When I was 20 years old, I had spent the last three and a half years throwing my life away given in to whatever temptation came my way, and I finally decided, all right, I, I, I'm done. 
I had tried that several times and it never worked until I figured this part out. Stop focusing on what I don't want to do and start focusing on what I do want to do. And so whenever I would be tempted, this, I, I had this, this passage memorized, I'd say, I'd close my eyes, I would say, resist the devil, he will flee from you. I would kind of physically turn away. In my, you know, I would turn my body, whether the, the temptation was actually right there or not. And, and I would say, when I draw near to God, he will draw near to me. I got to tell you, I would feel like a, a physical sensation come over my body, like something had changed. And I believe that it had. I carried my Bible with me everywhere that I went. Back then, I, we, I didn't have my Bible on a smartphone, right? I had this big, clunky Bible that I carried with me everywhere. And whenever I would be tempted, I'd sit down, I'd open it up, I'd read it. I wore that thing out. I've got to tell you, if by the time I was done with that thing, it was falling apart. But by changing my focus, taking my eyes off of the temptation, off of the trap, and putting them on Jesus, it, it transformed my life. And that leads us to the fifth and final um, part of the battle plan, which is ask for help. Okay? You ask for help. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. Paul says, I pray that you will begin to understand how incredibly great his power is to help those who believe him. It is that same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. That's the power that he wants to pour into your life. But it, it doesn't come to just everybody. What does it say? It comes to those who believe him. Now, belief is more than just saying, okay, yeah, I think Jesus is God's son. I think he created the world. I think he's, you know, was killed and resurrected and ascended to heaven. It's more than that. I spent, I spent the first 20 years of my life believing all of those things. But it didn't have any impact on my life at all. That word believe, what it literally means is trust. You know, do you, do you believe he is who he said he is? And then do you trust him to let him then control the direction, the pace, and the destination of your life. And what I learned is that as long as I would say to God, okay, Lord, I want help with this one area of my life, but please keep your hands off the rest of it because I think you might mess that up and I've got that under control, but boy, this part's really on fire. I could use some help putting that up. Nothing much happened. But as soon as I said, okay, I trust you. Do whatever you want with my life. I got to tell you, the power that started flowing into my life was something, I mean, I've, I've experienced addictive things. There is nothing in my life that has been as addictive as the power of God flowing through my life to help me become somebody I never dreamed I could become, do things I never dreamed I could do. I've never seen anything like that. And Paul says, all you gotta do is ask. Remember that passage that I read just a minute ago, James 4, 7 through 8, resist the devil, he'll flee from you, draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. This is how that passage starts. He says, so give yourselves humbly to God. See, that's, that's the precursor to all of this. You try to resist the devil on your own power, you are never going to defeat him, okay? Don't argue with the devil, he's better at it than you are. <laughs> don't, even, don't even enter into that discussion. Give yourself humbly to God. He will give you the strength to resist the devil. You draw near to him. He will draw near to you. That is the only thing that will ever defeat temptation in your life. That's why every lesson I do, I end up holding Jesus up, saying, look at him. Look at him. He's awesome. He's amazing. He can be trusted. You can give your life to him. He's the only one that will bring you to the life that you are looking for. You've got to ask for help. Humbly submit yourself to God. And the rest of it will take care of itself. 
Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for, for everything that you have given us. And Lord, we know that there are things in our lives that are hard for us to resist, so we pray for your power and your strength to give us what we need to resist temptation, to turn to you, to draw near to you, and to see your power flow into our lives in ways we never dreamed were possible. Lord, give us that power. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.